bit softer. So are you ready to help me tonight? All right, I'm going to pray. Just wait just a moment, and let's ask the Lord to come in this place. It's really powerful. And then I'm going to have her. We're going to do an illustration. I think will be a blessing to you. So, Lord, as we come tonight, collectively, we don't come in our own righteousness, but we come tonight in the name of Jesus and through the blood of Jesus. And, Lord, we thank you for the power of your blood. As we're about here in a few moments, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together in a special way and explain some things. But, Lord, I thank you so much. And, Lord, I pray tonight we enter your gates with thanksgiving, your courts with praise. And so, Lord, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for all that could be here. We thank you, Lord, that we have a place to come. And, Lord, you know, we're more blessed than we realize. Lord, I thank you that we have a roof over our head. We have a bed to sleep in tonight. Lord, we have... Today, we've had clothes to wear and food to eat. And Lord, we thank you for all of your blessings, Lord. And we hallow your name, that you alone are holy. Your name is holy. And Lord, we praise you that you're an awesome God, a mighty God. Lord, you're worthy of all praise and honor and glory and power and strength and might forever and ever, Lord. You alone are the Holy One of Israel. And Lord, we bless you tonight. And we ask you, as we are going to have a special service, and we're going to have some illustrations Lord, I pray even right now that your Holy Spirit begin to move on people and anoint eyes to be able to see and ears to be able to hear and help us to have good fertile soil of hearts and minds, even now, just to really get locked in, to be able to receive and to really grow spiritually. And that because we do illustrations, many times it stays with people more than just talking about it. And so, Lord, we ask you for a deep, profound work in every life. We bless you, precious Holy Spirit. We love you. And Holy Spirit, we, we ask you, we thank you for being our comforter, our counselor, our guide, our teacher. But we ask you, Holy Spirit, to come in this place and live a life through us that glorifies Christ. To come tonight and glorify Christ through this service and empower this service. Holy Spirit, that you'll have your way and let the course of this service be dictated and led by you. And that there'll be a union with Christ. There'll be an intimacy with the Father and open heaven and the glory of the Lord here. Lord Jesus, we ask you to come dwell among us. Lord, we don't want you outside somewhere knocking on a door. We ask you, Jesus, to come in this place, to be glorified. Let our praise create a throne for you to sit upon. Lord Jesus, that you would drive your scepter in the ground, that your kingdom be established here, that you would come and rule and reign and be Lord over this place and over our lives. We submit our lives unto you. We submit this ministry unto you in unreserved obedience, Lord. Come dwell here, Jesus. Walk among this lampstand. And we ask you, Heavenly Father, that there'd be such an open heaven that your shining face be upon us at this time as we celebrate Yom Teruah, a special time, a special time. Only one time a year, Yom Teruah comes, a time to, to think about the, the shofar, to think about the voice of the Lord in that way. What does it mean? What, the coming of Christ, it's significant. And Lord, we thank you for it. Let our praise and worship, prayer and intercession be an incense under your throne in Jesus' name. So what I want to do tonight, first, I'm going to have my wife here in a moment. She's going to light these candles and I'm going to walk you through it. But what I want to do, I want you to use your imagination with me and we're going to go back in time. And Jesus, whenever he grew up his whole life, being, you know, obviously Hebrew, his family was that way. He, every Sabbath, every Friday night, his mother would have covered her head and she would have lit candles, spoke a blessing, 
and set apart the Sabbath unto the Lord. Every time there was a special holiday, this would have happened, and it has meaning. It's significant. And even the night that we read about that Jesus was betrayed, there would have been a woman there that would have lit candles, and what it means, it's special. There's something to it. And so I wanted to act this out, and I want us to use our imagination as we go back and pretend like you're with that time that Jesus walked the earth and what this means to us today, okay? So I'm going to get my wife to come help me out. And in the Hebrew culture, which I believe in many ways is connected to heaven's culture, there will always be a woman of the house that will light the candles, but there's a covering of the head to show a great respect toward the Lord. And in this case, we have a menorah, which was what was in the tabernacle. And she's going to light the middle branch. Now, I'm going to walk you through this, okay? If everybody can see this, you might stand a little bit over it. Yeah. The middle branch there, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And this is just a replica of what was in the tabernacle. And they would be the middle, uh, the middle branch that's lit. And this is called the shamas. It's the servant branch. And it's from that branch that all the others are lit. So the message is, is that Jesus is our source, our life. He's the one that provides all the oil in our lives, all the fire the Bible says about Jesus, he will baptize us in the Holy Spirit and with fire. And as from the shamas, now she's going to light all the other branches. And you'll notice, just like on the day of Pentecost, what does the Bible say? There was a little tongue of fire on the top of everybody's heads at Pentecost. What are you seeing there? You're seeing a replica of that. And this would have been in the tabernacle and in the temple. And the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit in the book of Revelation as the seven spirits of God. And Isaiah explains that. It explains that the Holy Spirit, number one, is the Spirit of the Lord. That's the middle branch. But then he's also the Spirit of wisdom, revelation, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. And when the Holy Spirit comes in his fullness, he's coming like that seven-branch menorah. He's coming in his fullness, his full manifestation. And so what's represented in this light, it's the light of the revelation of the Holy Spirit bringing revelation about Christ, about the Word. You know, in the tabernacle, if you were in there, across from that was the table of showbread where you could sit, well, symbolically, it wasn't chairs, but just work with this, but you could sit and eat at a table. But the light that came from that was the only light in there. And so that would be the light so in other words, if you're sitting down to read the Bible and you're feasting on the Word of God, it's the illumination of the Holy Spirit that will light that and bring understanding to you. You see what I'm saying? And so there's a lot to this. I mean, I'm just touching on it. And then the woman of the house would wave her hands three times representing the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You can go ahead and do that. And, and what that is is saying, Lord, let your glory come dwell among us. We set apart time unto you but we're asking you to come dwell among us. And then they would speak a blessing to the Lord in Hebrew. You can go ahead. And just bless the Lord. And from that moment that um, she would pray, and from that moment when she stopped praying, it was a time, a special time unto the Lord. And let me just tell you something. The very first thing, what, what the word holy means is set apart. I want you to think about it for a minute. The very first thing that God set apart as holy was the Sabbath. 
So it was time. Think about that for a minute. Before there would have been a tabernacle, before there was a book that we call the Bible, before there was oil that was set apart to anoint or anything else, land, Jerusalem, that became holy later. But before that, the very first thing God set apart unto him was time. So I believe, personally, that there's something very special to set apart time unto the Lord that we really remember him and worship him and spend time with him like we're doing tonight. So this would have been the way that um, a, a special time like Yom Teru would have been set apart unto the Lord. It would begin with the woman lighting the candles. Isn't that special? It's something really beautiful. All right, so tonight, if you have Holy Communion, I want us to take communion, but I'm going to do a little teaching on the Lord's Supper as well. So if y'all would, I'm going to pray and just examine yourself. But before we take this, I want to share some things about the communion table and an ancient Jewish wedding, which some of you guys are familiar with, okay? But I want you to bear with me because this is going to go out from here on the internet to many. And I want everybody to understand this because the coming of the Lord is near and we need to understand these things, okay? All right, so Lord Jesus, as we go to take communion tonight, we bless you. And I ask you, Lord, that you would bring to our minds any person we need to forgive, any sin we need to confess, anything that we need to deal with, Lord, that you would reveal that now to us. In Jesus' name, as we go to take communion, bring revelation to us. And Lord, we love you and we thank you. We bless you. We want to examine ourselves. Before the priest would go in to minister to the Lord, there had to be, they had to wash their hands and feet at the labor. It was a cleansing. And then whenever they would go in, what they would do is they would go to the table of showbread first, okay? And so this is a time that we examine ourselves before we take communion. So Lord, we thank you, Holy Spirit. Come bring revelation in Jesus' name. So just take a few minutes to pray. Jesus taught us to do this in remembrance of him until he comes. And so right from the very beginning, the Lord was connecting the communion table with his second coming. And so I want you just to bear with me, those that are familiar with this, but I want to go back through this for a moment. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he had a Passover meal with his disciples. It's called a, a Pesach, it's called a Seder. It's a ceremonial meal. And this meal has four cups. And so on the night Jesus was betrayed, he was going through this whole meal with them. And at a point in time, the person that's the youngest is on the right. So John obviously was. But as they leaned to the left, they reclined to the left. John was near him. All this was the Passover meal. But at, after the meal time, and they went into the third cup, that's when Jesus instituted communion. And it was very interesting because there was a bread that was broken at the beginning. And it's the center matzah. There's three of them, which obviously would represent Jesus. It's broken. Half of it is wrapped and hidden away. The other half is used in the meal. The half that's wrapped and hidden, and think about this for a minute, it's unleavened bread that's going to be wrapped and then it's going to be buried away. It's a picture and type of the death and resurrection of the Lord. And after the meal time, a game where little children go and find it, whoever finds it gets a reward. And so that bread, that afikome bread, was brought out and Jesus unwrapped it, and he held it up and blessed it. And then he took the third cup, the cup of redemption, and he blessed that, and he gave it to him, and he instituted 
out of Passover, what we know today as the communion table, which is very special and very significant. And so this is our covenant meal. Now, connected to Yom Teruah, which is the Feast of Trumpets, which we're celebrating here tonight, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me until I come. So in ancient Jewish weddings, this is very important because I believe the coming of the Lord is played out in this. There would have been women's jobs, young, young women, virgins that were not married. They would go out to draw water for the animals and for the family. and That was their chores. And so while they're out doing that, if a young man was interested in being married, he maybe would go out to the well area and just kind of scope it out. If there was a young lady that caught his attention, he would go to her father and he would let um, him know, I'm interested in your daughter. At, at which time, her father would lay down the price and they would negotiate. And this was called a dowry. That young man had to come up with something. It was going to cost him something. You know, and he would tell the father, well, you know, I could do so many camel, sheep, whatever. And the dad would be like, well, you know, I think you could do another camel, another sheep or whatever. They would negotiate it out real good. But once they came to an agreement and he gave the father that dowry, he had to pay the price. Then the young lady would be brought in and she had a free will in this and so they would pour a cup of wine and they would set it on the table and they would tell her his intentions and that her father's blessing was on it and they've already negotiated and all that and if she wanted to marry him and if she was okay with all this she would drink of the cup and so if she was she would drink of the cup and then there would be a celebration now and so he would go here's the important part I believe that that cup that she drank of called the betrothal cup once she drank of that she was now considered off limits she was now just as much married to him so to speak it wasn't official yet but she was committed like engaged to him to where she was off limits from anybody else and whenever she would go out in public now she would wear a veil so that everybody would know she's engaged she's spoken for but he would go away and he would maybe be gone up to two years but he would go prepare a place for her which I believe has to do with Jesus going and preparing the marriage supper of the lamb okay but anyway he would go prepare a place for her in addition on to his father's house and so he'd be out there you know with the hammer and the nails building a place and when the time came, it could be up to two years. I mean, this could be a long time. But every night, she had to live as though he was coming tomorrow. Think about what I'm saying. We know this could go on and on, but we've got to live as though Jesus is coming tomorrow. We've got to live our lives that way. And so every night when she went to bed, they'd always, the father would have her a young virgin like that sleep on the second floor and so um, she would go to bed at night and she would have to have not only her lamp trimmed and lit but she would have to have extra oil in case he came at two or three in the morning because that may the oil may have been used up and she'd have to fill it real quickly and be ready to go but the custom was that once it was time nobody knew the day nor the hour except that groom's father 
And that was really the custom. It became a saying. And so when it was time, the groom's father would come out and see what he had built and it was ready. And he would tell his son, son, it's time, go get your bride. And so they would go in the middle of the night to catch her away as a thief in the night. And he would have some of his friends and they would go and maybe blasting the shofar but they were shouting behold the bridegroom cometh and people knew people as they were coming like an entourage down the street everybody that heard it knew what was going on and so he would come and, and his there is the house of his bride he would put a ladder up to the window go up there and he would catch her out that window like a thief in the night and they would go to a prearranged place where there would be a hopa and they would be married under that hopa take wedding vows it's called Kiddushin and Hopa and they take wedding vows and and there was a ketubah an agreement that was signed you know it's interesting because that marriage contract most of it was on the groom to take care of her but what was written in there was signed it was a contract and the Lord made sure that we have a Bible and all the promises that are in that Bible we realize through that Bible that we have a covenant relationship with him it's the promises to take care of us I'll never leave you nor forsake you all of that so after the marriage ceremony part there was a place that the husband and, and now the husband and wife would go and they would consummate their marriage in private and this is really interesting he comes back to the Passover meal and so after they would go to this private place and consummate their marriage, because she was a virgin, there would be a little bit of blood that would be there on the sheets. But this was important because in the Hebrew culture, covenants always had to have blood. And so this was a blood covenant now between her and him. And so she would take that sheet and he would have to show it to some witness. And once that was done, they were considered completely married, but they were not considered completely married until they had consummated their marriage. Okay? And she would now take that sheet, fold it up, and tuck it away and keep it with her belongings because it, was, it meant something to her. It meant something that they have a blood covenant. Anyway, they would come out now, and all of their friends and their family would be there with them, and they would celebrate for seven full days because, I mean, back then they knew how to party. See, nowadays, I mean, we just have like one, you know, several hours or something. But no, they would celebrate for seven full days. And there was this big celebration. And then whenever they were, they were done, of course, they, they would have time as a married couple for like a year. He was not allowed to be a part of the military or anything. He just spent time with his wife for a full year. But anyway, there's a lot of symbolism in this that when we take communion, Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us we don't know the day nor the hour the father only knows that and he's preparing what he's preparing you have to understand a lot of people think he's preparing your mansion see we've all thought that right but Jesus told them he said in my father's house are many mansions they're already there he, but he had, he's going to prepare a place he's going to prepare the marriage supper of the lamb is what it really is now here's the interesting thing and we're going to take communion now on the night Jesus was betrayed and he had that Passover meal he's 33 years of age and all those that were there with him their whole lives they have had a Passover meal every year all of them pretty much had it memorized and so for the first time all of a sudden Jesus is taking the third cup and the afikoman bread and saying this is my body and my blood 
And all of them are probably thinking, well, this is new. I mean, he did some things that night that had never been done. He washed their feet. That wasn't a part of, you know, the ceremony. They washed their hands, but not their feet. Because he was preparing them for Pentecost. They had already water immersed at the temple. They all did that. And he, they had washed their hands at the beginning of the meal. But Jesus washed their feet because a priest, when he went in to minister, had to mikveh and water in immersion. But he had to wash his hands and feet before he could go in. And Jesus knew that they were about to have a Holy of Holies experience at Pentecost. He was getting them ready. But on that night when he did that, they're all thinking, this is interesting. So they take communion, and then Jesus takes the fourth cup, and he leaves it sitting on the table, and he says, I'm not going to drink of this fruit of the vine again with you until we do it together in the kingdom. Again, something totally different. You always drank the four cups. Jesus refused to drink it. And he said, let's arise and go. And so they go to the Mount of Olives. They're singing hymns out of the, out of the Psalms. And, and you can read about it in John 17, 18, 19, where Jesus was, you know, he was deeply burdened because he knew his hour was short. He was what he was sharing with them. But he left the Passover meal. He left it unfinished. Why in the world? You know, I'll tell you why. Now picture this as that fourth cup. He left that fourth cup there and he said, I'm not going to drink this with you until I drink it with you in the kingdom. He was saying, in essence, this. I've given you holy communion, the third cup. You take that as often as you desire, looking for my coming. But there will come a time where I'm going to come catch you away. And when I do, we're going to go to the marriage supper of the Lamb and I'm going to finish this Passover meal because I'm going to take the fourth cup and we're going to take it together there. And you know what that fourth cup is? Just like a, a bride and groom were not considered completely, totally married until they consummated their marriage. We're betrothed to a bridegroom. But when we're at the marriage supper of the Lamb and we take of the fourth cup, everything's going to be consummated there that's going to be like the closure is this making sense tonight and so as we take communion tonight i want you to keep that in mind every time i take communion i think about that now because i really studied this out and this it, once you understand the hebrew culture the hebrew roots the communion table really means something to you that it didn't before and I think about the coming of the Lord and how I'm supposed to be living as though he could come any time. I've got to be living with extra oil. I've got to be living a set-apart life. And every time I take communion, I realize this is the third cup. This is the betrothal cup. But one of these days, I'm going to take that fourth cup with him there. And it's going to be sealed. So, Lord Jesus, we bless you. And we thank you tonight that on the night you betrayed, you... You held up that afikomen bread and you blessed it in Hebrew. Baruch Adonai which just means bless you, Lord God, King Universe, who gives us the bread from the earth. But Jesus, you are our bread of life. You are the manna that has come down from heaven. Lord, your body was without leaven. It was perfect. There was no sin. 
Your body was pierced for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquity. The punishment that brought peace was upon you and by your stripes were healed. We thank you, Lord, for the power of your body. We thank you for the power of your blood tonight. Lord, we, as you held up that third cup, Jesus was beginning his priestly ministry, our great high priest. And he was instituting a covenant meal, a priestly meal, the table of showbread. He held up that cup and he blessed it. Which means, bless you, Lord God, Kinyverse, who, who creates the fruit of the vine. But Lord Jesus, we thank you tonight that your blood washes us from all impurity. Your blood covers us and our families to protect us. Lord, there is deliverance in the blood tonight. The power of the devil is broken. And Lord, as we take communion, we bless you tonight. And by faith, we bring our entire families under the power of your body and your blood tonight, Lord Jesus. We love you. We, we want to be one with you. I'm telling you, there is something about when we take communion, what represents his body and his blood is going into your body and blood. You hear what I'm saying? The two becoming one. We're all unifying together in him when we do this. There's an intimacy with the Lord. The veil is removed. We're going into the glory of the Lord. And there's one lamb per household. Lord, I thank you that those that have children and grandchildren that are here, you know, you're here tonight, but your children and grandchildren are not. I'm going to tell you that what you're doing affects them. And so, Lord, I thank you that family bloodlines right now, we bring them by faith under the power of the body and the blood of the Lord. And we're believing for those that are not saved to get saved. We're believing for those that are wayward, Lord, to come back. We're believing for those that, that maybe have been dry to, you know, to have a personal revival. We're believing for healing and freedom in every life and breakthroughs. For, Lord, you said you would bless a thousand generations of them that love you. And so, Lord, we love you tonight and we bless you, Jesus. We do this in remembrance of you until you come. Just worship the Lord as you take it tonight. Man, I feel the glory of the Lord coming in this place. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your presence. We thank you for your blood. We bless you. Lord, as we come tonight, all of us unify under the power of your blood. This is a lot of my sermon tonight is what I'm sharing. I know it's at the beginning. This is the way I felt led to do it. Let me say one more thing, and then we're going to get into some worship. And we're also going to blast the shofar tonight, okay, quite a bit. But I felt that the Lord showed me that it's important to keep going over certain things. And something that really impacted and transformed my life, um, it has to do with the, the harvest cycles. Man, it would be a whole long thing if I explained about Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles about the harvest. It's a long thing. I don't want to get too much into that. But when a farmer had a field and he sowed his seed there, there was going to be a first fruits that cropped up. You know, these green sheaves that are coming up and, and some of the first fruit that would come on the tree. And he would go and cut that down, and he would put it in baskets and load up his donkey and off to the, te the temple he went, you know, rejoicing and celebrating. He would take the Lord as first fruits. But there's a principle in the Bible that really revolutionized my life. The first person I heard talk about it was a man named Chuck Pierce. And um, it really stuck with me, so I did an in-depth study about it. it. It really transformed my life. But in Romans, the, the Bible says that the first fruits are holy, the rest is holy. 
So what happened was when he gave the Lord the first fruits, the whole rest of his crops became holy unto the Lord. You see what I'm saying? It brought a blessing on the rest. And so after that, he would come back and the rest of his crops would come up. And once they did, they would harvest and he would count it up so that he could give the Lord a tenth. He would tie it. So now he took 10%, loaded back up the animals, back to the temple to give the Lord the 10%. And of course, I, I shared other you know, aspects of giving that had to do with um, you know, alms to the poor, obviously blessing Israel, things like that. But what God led me to do, my wife and I, is we began monthly to, to give the Lord a first fruits, and we do them. And I really felt something change when we started doing that. And then, of course, we've always tithed, but we tried to go above our tithe, and we have been consistently doing this now for years, where we would give to the poor and to bless Israel. And since we've been doing that consistently, God has really blessed us. So I wanted to share that. But with that in mind, I'm going to speak a blessing. I'm going to tell you, too, that we always try to give, and we, we try to give it's generously at these feast times because it brings such a blessing on your finances. And we... We've already given some. We're going to give more um, connected to these fall feasts, specifically tabernacles. So anybody that wants to do that, um, I just encourage you to do that. But I'm going to speak a blessing over you, okay? So, Lord, we bless you during this special time. As this is a civil new year in Israel, even though the biblical new year is um, right before Passover. But this is a time when God is really moving during these fall feasts. It is significant. And Lord, we think about your soon coming. And I speak a blessing over all of River of Life tonight as we enter into this Moedim time, these fall feasts. I bless you, River of Life, that the blessings of the Lord shower down upon you like a gentle rain. And the Lord connect you with his timing in an awesome way. I bless you that these feast times, the blessings of these times would run you down and overtake you. I speak a blessing over those that sow first fruits unto the Lord, that your finances will be holy and consecrated unto the Lord, and the Lord cause, as the Bible promises, your barns and vats to overflow with abundance, that you would have abundance. For the book of Proverbs says, Honor the Lord with your first fruits, and your barns and your vats will overflow. I bless you as faithful tithers. That the Lord will cause the devourer to be rebuked and driven away from you. And the Lord will open the heavens above you and pour out more blessings than there's room enough to contain. That you'll come into a new place of increase. That God will enlarge your territory. He will increase you financially in Jesus' name. I bless you, those that have been faithfully giving to the poor above your tithe. You've had a burden for the poor. According to Psalm 41... I bless you that God will literally deliver you from the hands of the enemy and you will not be given over to the desires of your enemies and that the Lord will deliver you out of troubled times and bring healing to every area of your life in Jesus' name. And those of you that's gone out of your way to be a blessing to Israel, Genesis 12 tells us that God will bless those that bless Israel. And so may the Lord bless you in an awesome way in every area of your life. 
The Lord said during these times of Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles not to come empty-handed. So as you bring an offering to the Lord at this special time, I bless you that the Lord will release awesome prosperity and abundance over this next year like you have never experienced in your life. That your finances will be connected to both the blessings and the timing of the Lord in an awesome way. And that you will move into new realms of anointing and dwell in the presence of the Lord like never before. You'll experience personal revivals in a greater way than you could have ever imagined. The Lord give you health and wholeness, spirit, soul, and body. Prosperity and abundance. The advantage in every situation. Victory over every enemy. So in your lying and rising, going, coming, Lord, bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you, lift up his countenance upon you, and establish your life in his shalom, his manifest presence. I bless you now in the awesome name of Jesus. Whew. We're going to go through some of these shofar blasts. Traditionally, we want to blast around a hundred times. But um, the way that we do this, there's a tekiah, then the shivarim teruah, and then tekiah hagadol. This is, there's several blasts in one. By the time we get to the end of this, we'll have around 100 blasts, okay? What I want y'all to do is just kind of go along with this. Some of them will just blast, you can listen to them. But others, I want you to join with me. Let's lift up a shout. So, um, volume being down some and I want to make sure we record these we're going to do our best to try to get these recorded and can get out there so people can listen to this but the shofar is an awesome weapon of war the walls of Jericho came down at a shofar blast and a shout Gideon's victory took place uh, just major things God appeared on Mount Sinai there's a shofar blast David brought the ark into Jerusalem with shofar blast so it's a very powerful thing and so I'm going to go through, and we're going to do this just being spirit-led, okay? So the first one, this is a real deep baritone sound. But I'm going to ask the Lord as we blast this. Y'all don't have to shout on this one. But Lord, we pray tonight as we blast this shofar. We're asking you, Lord, with this rumbling sound. There's something about these Moedim times in the Bible, signs and seasons, that has to do with a special open heaven. Lord, I'm asking you in the days to come that the heavens will be more open over River of Life, over this ministry than they've ever been before. We're asking you, Lord, the gates of heaven will stand wide open. There'll be no uh, spiritual resistance in the heavenly realms. But Lord, the skies will be purged. And Lord, there'll be an outpouring of your spirit like we've never had before. In Jesus' mighty name. C-sharp minor. Now I want y'all just to listen to this, okay? And then we'll do some shouts for a moment. this show far I'll lift up a shout with this one. we're asking Lord to purge the atmosphere and Lord that this there will be a, in the days to come 
We're asking you that the atmosphere be clear. Lord, that there will be such a move of the Spirit for healing, um, healing people spiritually. There's people that are wounded in the Spirit, healing people psychologically, emotionally, in the soul realm, healing physical bodies, marriages healed, families healed. Lord, there's going to be a great move of healing. We ask you, Lord, to really break through about that. And as we blast this shofar, we're believing for something to really break open with healing in the days to come. In Jesus' name, here at Yom Teruah, Lord, take, we ask you to increase healing in this ministry. In the mighty name of Jesus. And I feel that as I'm, as I'm talking about it. Whew. Lord, new realms of healing, wholeness, health. Lord, even in the communion table even have people that have been healed just as a sermon is being preached. But Lord, just healing in the atmosphere. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. As I blast this one, I want y'all to lift up a shout and believe God for breakthroughs that healing and health to begin to be released like never before. Lord, let the gifts associated with healing, words of knowledge, working of miracles, healing, the gift of healing, revelation gifts connected to healing. Lord, let this come forth faith in Jesus' name. We ready?
this show farm, we're believing for major breakthroughs, spiritual warfare, victory, Lord. We ask you, Lord, as we blast this show far, there's going to be a rumbling as people lift up a shout. Lord, we ask you in the days to come that we would experience greater realms of um, deliverance ministry. Lord, breakthroughs for people that breakthroughs with warfare in the heavens, breakthroughs with warfare on the earth level, occult level warfare, but just realms of warfare that every structure, every stronghold, every wall of Jericho is coming down, every work of the devil destroyed, every force of the enemy totally confused and fleeing, that there's really going to be breakthroughs. Though we ask you for great deliverances. And Lord, this to go out like a rumbling in the spirit realm, just a shaking. And um, man, I feel that, you know, how sound waves just go out like a pulsating. I just, as we blast this, I really believe for that. So I want us to lift up an awesome shout with this. But Lord, give us victory in the days to come. Give us great victories. Victories in territory that we could have never imagined. Personal lives and families, obviously, but beyond that in our region, in our nation. Great victories to the north, south, east, and west. <coughs> Y'all ready? Lift up a shout with me. that the sounds of joy and laughter will come forth. Lord, shrieks of laughter at breakthroughs, things that have been prayed about for years. Lord, areas that the enemy at one time may be damaged, but now is not only repaired, but every bit of loss restored sevenfold. What David experienced at Ziklag, where the Lord said, go, you'll overtake them. He recovered a hundredfold and then some. And so, Lord, as we blast this, we're believing you for jubilee. Everything that's been damaged by the enemy repaired in every life and in every way. Everything stolen restored sevenfold. Everything that's been put in people's lives by the enemy taken out. Everything that's been out of order and chaotic is going to come in order. Everything that has not been the way it's supposed to be will begin to line up. We ask you, Lord, that this shofar blast, Lord, that your mighty angels would be sent as warriors at the sound of this shofar that will begin to enforce this jubilee and restoration in Jesus name Lord we're believing for tonight we ask you in the name of Jesus let the angels of the Lord we call upon the Lord of hosts the Bible says Yahweh Tzavah the Lord of hosts the Lord of angel armies Lord to send forth your mighty angels of war that are going to begin to break through in Jesus mighty name give me a D 
And I want us to lift up a shout together. I want you to think about restoration. Some of you have loved ones you've been praying for in that prayer tank. Lord, we ask you at this shofar blast that the Spirit of God begin to move upon the lost. Lord, we're going to begin to bring a breakthrough for people to come to know the Lord. Backsliders coming home. Breakthroughs with healing. Breakthroughs where people are, are experiencing great restoration. Things that have been prayed about for a long time. Financial miracles. In Jesus' name. Father, as I blast this, I'm just flowing with the Holy Spirit here for just a minute. Lord, I thank you for the angel of the Lord being sent that has to do with financial breakthroughs tonight. I feel that very strong. Financial breakthroughs, things that were impossible begin to open up. Supernatural provision. Lord, I thank you in Jesus' name. Major breakthroughs in health and in every other area. Y'all ready? this shofar 
And I want you guys to lift up a shout of praise this time. We're praising the Lord, and we're saying, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We look for the day, Lord, when that shofar will sound, and we'll be caught away with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb. In Jesus' name. Aren't y'all ready? a move of God break forth in Jesus mighty name as we blast this shofar let the kingdom of darkness rattle Lord let gates of hell literally crash Lord let let light begin to pierce into dark places Lord let the things that the enemies had a grip on let it be broken tonight in the mighty name of Jesus shatter strongholds y'all ready to lift up a shout with me one more time breakthrough Lord moving we thank you for breakthroughs and victory in every way in jesus name amen all right if you guys would agree with me i really value your prayers as you agree with me as two agreeing on earth the bible promises us if we will do that if two will agree together he'll do it okay this mic might be just a touch hot you may want to bring the lapel down just a little not much just a little but lord we pray tonight together as we're going to be getting into the word of the lord we love your word Lord, we thank you so much tonight for your word. We thank you for worship, and we, you know, we love the move of the Holy Spirit. And, and of course, here in the altar time, you're going to touch people. But, but, Lord, we love your word. And as we get into the word tonight, I'm asking you to help everyone that's going to be hearing this to have good, fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives, anointed eyes to see and ears to hear, but good, fertile soil, and that you'll come mightily upon me under an anointing and speak through me your words of life, and it'll go out as living seeds of truth sown into good, fertile soil, watered by the Spirit of God. Take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. Lord, that the Word of God will go out and there'll be a washing of the water of the Word. Lord, there'll be a light shining of truth, dispelling all the darkness, all the lies of the enemy, all deception, bring truth and revelation. Let your word go out like a hammer and break down strongholds, like a sword, and cut away what needs to go and be able to penetrate into deep places. Lord, let this go out under a mighty anointing in the glory of the Lord. And we, we agree together that we bind the enemy because Jesus said the birds of the air try to steal the seed. We bind the enemy that would try to hinder this word in any way from getting where it needs to go and doing what it needs to do. We bind you in the name of Jesus back off. And Lord, we ask you, that the winds of your spirit will carry this everywhere it needs to go and that your mighty angels will watch over your word for the bible says your word will go out and accomplish that which you sent it for to do it will not return void but it will accomplish that which it's sent for to accomplish so lord we thank you we believe tonight in jesus mighty name amen 
All right, so a couple things. I'm going I'm to talk about fasting, but before I get into that, uh, let me just read a couple scriptures about the blasting of the shofar. We know that um, it's very interesting, but Genesis 1.14 says that God put the sun and the moon in the sky for signs and seasons. See, all of us have felt like when we read that, that it had to do with, you know, obviously the nighttime and the daytime. And that's pretty much where we left it. And obviously there is something to that. Amen. But there's more to it than that. The, the Bible says that the sun and moon are there as signs and also for seasons. And the word seasons is moedim and moed. And that word translated into English uh, loses a little bit in the translation but it has to do with like a divine appointment. It has to do with a, a time that God would meet or, or show up. It has to do with, it's the same word that's used for the feast days in the Bible. Isn't that interesting? So God put the sun and the moon there that they would be for signs and seasons. But seasons is Moedim, divine appointments. Now we can see the book of Joel says that before the great and terrible day of the Lord, that they would be the sun turned to darkness and the moon to blood. And we have seen the solar eclipses and the blood moons. And Jesus said this. You can look this up. Jesus said that they would be signs in the sun, moon, and the stars, all three, the sun, the moon, and the stars. And so we need to have eyes to be able to see what God is doing. It's significant, okay? And so another thing about when God talked about these feast days in Leviticus 23, he said, these are my feasts. He'd never said they're Israel's feasts. He said, these are my feasts. There's a big difference there because these are for his people throughout all the ages. And the Lord said, these would be from now on. Okay, there's not going to be a time that these would end. And we can read even in the thousand year reign of Christ, it's in Zechariah, it talks about these things. It says that about specifically tabernacles. So another interesting thing, though, in Leviticus 23, God said these are my feast, holy convocations. So what is a holy convocation? The, the way that we could translate that is a dress rehearsal. So you've got to understand, for the 1,500 years the law was in place, once Passover was instituted, every year, that they sacrificed a Passover lamb and went through all of that, they were doing a dress rehearsal every year, preparing, 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 preparing for one day, the fullness of time, when the Lamb of God would come. The fullness of time, Jesus, the Lamb of God would come and be sacrificed on Passover day for the sin of the world. So it's a holy convocation, it's a dress rehearsal. And so when we have these fall feasts and we're blasting the shofar, it, we're, we're having a dress rehearsal for what is to come. Because the spring feast had been fulfilled at Christ's first coming. Let me show you. When we blast this shofar, here is what we're dress rehearsal, uh, what we're doing as far as a dress rehearsal. 1 Thessalonians 4.13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, talking about dead so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, 
that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep, who have died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the shofar of God, the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ are going to rise from their graves. They're going to rise from the dead. Then those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air so that we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So every year, Yom Teruah, when we come together, you know, many refer to Rosh Hashanah, okay, but when we come together and we blast the shofarim, we lift up the shout and we blast the shofar, it's a dress rehearsal for the day when the king is coming to catch away his bride. And there's two advents, and they cannot be the same thing because they're two, I, this is another sermon for another day, but they're too different in their descriptions for them to be the same. It's not possible. But Jesus is going to come in his first advent. He's going to come as a thief in the night. Jehovah does say he's coming as a thief in the night. And nobody's going to know the day nor the hour. And there's going to be that shout. It's interesting when I read that, it says there's going to be a shout and the voice of the archangel. So it may be Jesus that lifts up a shout. It may be the Lord himself that is like roaring like the lion of Judah. But anyway, there's going to be a shout. There's going to be the voice of the archangel. There's going to be the shofar of God blasted. And we're going to be caught up. He's not going to come down and, and put his feet on the Mount of Olives yet. He's going to stay in midair. And we're going to be caught up with him. And then we're going to go be with him at the marriage supper. Which is so awesome that the Lord is going to catch away his bride before the earth goes through what it's going to go through. Because I'm going to tell you, when, when the tribulation time hits, you guys, trust me, you don't want to be here. It's going to be a very, very difficult time. There's going to be like asteroids striking the earth. Um, water is going to be turned to blood. There won't be a lot of drinking water. People will die just from that. The, the earthquakes, the wars, all this is going to happen. It's just going to be horrible. And so it's going to be the wrath of God, the judgment of God. But before that happens... The Lord is going to catch away his bride. And the awesome thing is that right now, people die. They go, the angels of the Lord will carry a Christian to the Lord in the third heaven. You're caught away to be with him right now. The Bible says to be absent from the bodies present with the Lord. You're going to be with him. But see, you in heaven right now, you don't have a glorified body right now. You're just the spirit and soul. Your body's in the ground. But at the time of the harpazo, the catching away of the bride, the dead in Christ are going to be raised. What's happening is, is that everybody's going to be given their glorified bodies. Isn't that awesome? And this is, a, the glorified body doesn't age, doesn't get sick. It is a new, new body. And so, yeah, it's, it's an amazing thing. You study this out, and a lot of people don't understand that the coming of the Lord I'll say some things real quickly just as the Holy Spirit's leading because I want to get somewhere else. But a lot of people don't realize this, but when Jesus comes, he's not coming as like a meek, mild, you know, gentle lamb or something. He's coming to rule and reign with a rod of iron, with force. And when he comes, the Bible says that his robe is going to be dipped in blood because he's going to come down and slaughter the enemies of Israel. 
and he's coming in to take over. He's going to separate the sheep and goat nations and throw the goat nations into hell, and he's going to rule. And the interesting thing is, during that time, this is another subject for another day. So I'm going to preach in a couple of weeks on Gog and Magog, and I'm going to talk about this. Is that all right? I'll come back to it later. Okay. But when he comes, he's going to come to rule and reign, and that's what we're looking for. So at first, his first advent is to catch away the bride to the marriage supper, but his second advent, at the end of the tribulation, he's going to come back. The Bible says, like lightning, there's going to be a bright flash in the sky that's going to be able to be seen all over the world. And Jesus is going to split the eastern sky and descend. And he's going to be on a white horse. And then there's going to be all of us with him. We're going to be riding horses. I mean, how awesome is that? And we're going to be coming down. And that's where he slaughters the enemies of Israel. But he's going to put his feet on the Mount of Olives. They're going to split. And he's going to go. And he, the, the prophecy that the angel Gabriel gave Mary, that your son will rule like on the throne of David. Remember how the prophecy is that Jesus would rule on the throne of David? Right now, he's at his father's right hand. He's at, on his father's throne. But when he comes back to Israel, he's going to sit on the throne of David. And he's going to rule the earth for a thousand years, okay? So we're looking for that day. Every time we blast this shofar, we're looking for that catching away. And every year when we celebrate tabernacles and we build the sukkah and all that, we're looking for Jesus to come and dwell on the earth for a thousand years and us tabernacle with him. So it's a dress rehearsal of the second coming of the Lord. And here's something too. Before the, the spring feast, before Passover, there's a time called Badikat Chametz, which is the getting all the yeast out of a home. So it's like a cleansing. Yeast in the Bible speaks of sin. So it's like a purging. So before Passover is a time to really purge your life. And the same thing before the fall feast. You have the month of Elul and into the 10 days of Ab. You have that 40 days that's known as the season of Teshuva, where there's repentance. There's really cleansing your life. And what I, what I love about these feasts, there's a lot of things, but this is something I really love about it. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3, 17, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty or freedom. Did you know that can be read in the Greek where the spirit is Lord, there is liberty? Well, that's important because we want the Holy Spirit to come do what he wants to do tonight. Now, a lot of people want to control it instead of the Holy Spirit controlling it. But where the Holy Spirit comes and he's Lord, there's liberty. And it says, we all with an unveiled face, behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. Did you know the Holy Spirit is transforming us gradually, day by day, more and more to be like Jesus? That's what the Holy Spirit is doing in us. But look at this, from glory to glory. Just as from the Lord, the Spirit, from glory to glory. So our Christian walk should be that we're becoming more like Jesus this year, 2017, than we were last year in 2016. We should be going from glory to glory. We should be going, this is, this is so important what I'm about to say. 
we should be getting closer to the Lord, not further away. But unfortunately, from what I've seen, I don't mean this as a criticism, I mean this as an honest observation, but what I've seen in the greater body is that people were once really on fire and they were really doing good spiritually, but now, yeah, you know, that's not how it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be going from glory to glory. We should be more hungry, more on fire, more close to the Lord today than we've ever been in our lives. I remember during Brownsville, um, Steve would talk about this. And he would say, if there's a time in your life that you were closer to the Lord than you are now, you're backslidden. Uh, you know, that's, that's true. Let's just be honest about it. Now, let's all be honest. If I, if I would say today that there was a time I was closer to the Lord than I am now, that's not a good thing, and I would need to reflect on that. So here's one of the things I love about the feasts. When you get into the spring feast and the fall feast, both, so every six months, God gives us an opportunity where we can spend a time of really praying and fasting and seeking him and letting him purify our lives and then move into these feasts what is happening is that it produces cycles of revival in other words it's a way to springboard up it's a way like an escalator for god to carry you upward from glory to glory because we have an opportunity to really reflect and to really get close to the lord and get anything out of our lives that's been a hindrance and then draw near to him so God created these feasts with many things in mind, but one of the things to, that he had in mind was to help us go from glory to glory. And so that's something I love about the feast. And I can say truly that um, as a pastor, River of Life, you know, there's more of an atmosphere of heaven. There's more of an anointing than there was last year. We're going deeper in the Lord. We're going from glory to glory. And I've been many places, and I've seen where some places, I'll give you an example. There was one place that I was at, and then I came back years later. And I'll never forget it because it was weird, because it was like a deja vu moment for me. Because it was the same people sitting in the same pew in the same spot, singing the exact same songs, the same everything. It's just that they'd gotten older. Some of them hair had gotten great. And I was sitting back there looking at it, and I was like, this is weird, you know. This is like, but they had not gone from glory to glory. They were just in the same rut they had been all those years, just going through the motions in that place. God doesn't want us to be that way. He wants us to be going forward and be going into a greater realm of his presence and power and seeing greater things. All right, so now let me talk briefly about the power of fasting so we're at Yom Teruah, the Feast of Trumpets. And so we've been talking tonight a lot about the coming of the Lord, the catching away of the bride. And the first advent of the Lord, it's a thief in the night. The second advent, like a bright shining light, all eyes will see him coming to rule and reign the whole world. There's not going to be any missing that, okay? But listen to what Jesus said in Mark 2.18. John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting and they came and said to Jesus to him why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast but your disciples do not fast and listen to what Jesus said while the bridegroom is with them 
Everybody say bridegroom. bridegroom. While the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot fast, can they? So as long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away, and then they will fast in that day. So see, the fasting has to do with the fact that we're not with the bridegroom yet. But when we're with him, we're going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I'm going to have my glorified body, so I'm not going to have to worry about overeating. And there's going to be a lot of feasting going on. There's going to be a lot of chocolate cake, right, Miss Sandy? Yeah. There's going to be a lot of feasting, a lot of celebration. But while we're waiting for the bridegroom, there are times of fasting, seasons of fasting. So if you're taking notes, just pay attention to some of the things I'm about to tell you. What is fasting? First and foremost, fasting is where you set aside the natural to pursue the spiritual. You're setting aside the natural so that you can go deeper in the spiritual. When you really fast, you get more sensitive to the Lord. This last fast that we did for 21 days, the Lord showed me things I hadn't seen. Of course, I was asking him to do that, but he showed me a lot. It's a spiritual sensitivity. The second thing, and this is probably, probably one of the most important revelations, is you're humbling yourself. If you can humble your soul in prayer and humble your body in fasting, it's really going to take you deeper in the Lord and cause answered prayers because of this reason. Not that, not that God you're manipulating him because you're fasting that's not it but the bible talks about if you'll humble yourself and pray and seek my face i'll hear from heaven and forgive your sin so it has to do with a, a pattern we see in the bible that if god will exalt the humble if you'll humble yourself you'll be exalted if you'll humble yourself you'll be heard does this make sense so god opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble so fasting has a lot to do with your humbling your soul in prayer, but you're humbling your body in fasting before the Lord to be heard on high and, and to get breakthroughs. And so what is fasting? Well, fasting is the opposite of the Garden of Eden. And this is why it's so powerful and why I believe God instituted this. Fasting, see, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve could eat anything except from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil of course they found a way to get to that tree and eat what they're not supposed to but they ate what they were not supposed to eat fasting is where you don't eat what is permissible so it's the exact opposite of the garden let me say it again in the garden they ate what they're not supposed to fasting we're not eating what we can. So fasting is a very powerful thing. Matthew 6, Jesus taught us, he didn't say if you pray, if you fast, if you give. He didn't say that. He said, let me teach you about it because when you pray, when you fast, and when you give, let me tell you how to do it. 
So Jesus wasn't saying that you might or might not. He was saying, no, no, you're my disciples. You're going to do these things, but let me teach you how to do them. And he was saying, don't do any of this to get praise from men. Do it as unto the Lord. So fasting is a time when we can humble ourselves and we can seek the Lord in a special way and we can go deeper in the Lord and God can show us things about ourselves that we need to repent, we need to change, things that maybe have hindered our relationship with him. It's a time of self-reflection and if people will have seasons of fasting, I believe it will help them go from glory to glory. Because you humble yourself down in prayer and fasting and seeking the Lord and letting him really cleanse you. And then you'll come up out of that time higher than what you went into it. I also believe that it's important that we don't just have rare seasons of these things, but that we cultivate a lifestyle. Most people that I've seen that really are used of God, they have a day of the week that they fast some and they have cultivated a personal prayer life daily. In other words, they don't wait until there's a crisis or some major need and all of a sudden they pray. They cultivate a life of prayer. And then number three, they're faithful givers. It's not like a rare thing. They're just faithful you know, so most people that have been used mightily by God down through the down through the centuries, if you read up on their life and look into it, they they were people of fasting and prayer. I think about Charles Finney. I think about Wesley, and there's many others. But that they were men that were given to prayer and fasting, and because of that, they they were great restorers. They left a legacy. which I'll come back to that in a moment. So let me give you about seven, I believe, of biblical fasts. And another thing about fasting is fasting will bring breakthrough. If you can get somebody in your life, it doesn't have to be a lot of people. Jesus said, if two will agree on earth as touching anything, if you can just get one other person that will really, truly agree with you and believe God with you, and you'll pray and fast together, I'm telling you, you'll see major breakthroughs. Major breakthroughs. But fasting, let me make this clear because I just assumed everybody knew this. So I need to do some teaching on it as a pastor. Fasting is huge. And I really encourage people to cultivate a lifestyle. We have a watchman program that you can sign up to get involved in that. And one day of the week, you... The only requirement is just to fast one meal that day. But on that day, every, every week, you pray and fast for, you know, what's represented on that sheet, the watchman sheet, to really pray for the church, etc. It's not just limited to the church. It's praying for, you know, America, etc. But we're praying, and we're fasting, and we're unified about it. But fasting has to do with food. It's important that everybody write that down. Because I think a lot of times people um, don't realize this, but there's not one, not one, biblical fast, nothing in the Bible, not anywhere where fasting was not food. I'm just telling you. So it's important. Now, the Daniel fast, he fasted, put lotion on his body, but he fasted meat, 
and he fasted sweets. He fasted food. <laughs> you know, in the New Testament, seriously, look this scripture up, not Google this. Paul talked about people's stomach being their God. That's in the Bible. God's wanting us to learn how to discipline our flesh. And there is nothing that will discipline your flesh more than fasting. But fasting has to do with food. Now you can add to it other things, entertainment or whatever, but it is food. And so here is the seven examples in the Bible of fasting, and it's really powerful. 21-day partial fast. This is predominantly what I do is partial fasts. I do these pretty frequently. So does my wife and other people in the church, but we do partial fast. They're not that hard to do, but they're awesome, awesome, powerful. 21 days of partial fasting. Daniel, again, as I mentioned, he fasted meat, he fasted sweets, and then he fasted putting lotions on his body, and he humbled himself for 21 days. Daniel chapter 10. Now, what was the result of that? The Bible says that the angel of the Lord appeared to him. And gave him great revelation of which we have the book of Daniel. End time prophecy. I mean, that's what I'm trying to say. Fasting really opens people up to revelation from the Lord. So the 21 day partial fast, Daniel got great revelation. I mean, great revelation. And the Bible says that when Gabriel, Gabriel finally showed up and talked to him, he said, well, I would have been here 21 days ago. But the prince of Persia, which was a principality, resisted me. So he's, he's swooping down trying to get to Daniel, and this principality is getting in his way and trying to resist him. And Gabriel said, until the Lord sent Michael. And Michael cleared him out of the way, and here I am now with you. But the point is that there's great victory in warfare. So a Daniel fast, a partial fast, has to do with great victory in warfare and great revelation. If you're seeking the Lord, what is a hindrance? What is, what is holding back this answer to prayer? How do I get the victory? How do I get heaven's strategy? Far, uh, partial fasting will bring a breakthrough in that. There'll be revelation and breakthroughs. The second one is a one-day fast for spiritual examination. Every Yom Kippur, which is Day of Atonement, which is here soon, there's, going back to ancient times, it's in the Bible, there was a required fast. And people would fast for one day. And they humbled themselves, and they, they repented of any sin. And in the Bible, the, it was, this was a very solemn time before Jesus came, especially because, I mean, a lot weighed in the balance. That the next year, how things were going to go, how th was it going to fare well for Israel over the next year? All of that had to do with God responding to the Day of Atonement. And so all of Israel would humble themselves in prayer and fasting for that day. And the high priest, whoever he was, would, you know, he had sacrifices he would do for himself. He'd water, immerse, you know, and he would go in with the blood and sprinkle it before the ark of God and pray for the forgiveness of the sins of the nation. It was a very solemn time. 
So what we can glean from that, though, is this, that a day of fasting and humbling yourself can help you with self-examination. You know, Lord, why am I not seeing what I need to see? Show me areas that I need to change or repent or be able to see things. And God will, he'll help you out. He'll show you. All right, also, there was a one-day fast that brought a major victory in war in Judges chapter 20. There was in the Torah, there was a, a passage where it talked about if there was a city that began to go after other gods, that the rest of Israel was supposed to come and completely annihilate that city and purge that out of their midst. Well, the tribe of Benjamin had allowed some horrible sin and the rest of Israel had to respond because the Benjamites were not being cooperative and repentant. And so the rest of Israel had to go to war against Benjamin. It was actually a very sad thing. And God spoke to Israel. They, they prayed. They asked the Lord. The Lord said, go. I'll give you victory. But the first two times that Israel fought against Benjamin, they lost. It was the craziest story. And it's almost like the devil just did not want that to be eradicated. He wanted to keep that foothold somehow, you know. Because, I mean, how does one tribe defeat everybody else? It was just... But anyway... Israel fought against Benjamin. They lost twice. And so finally, as they were about to go to war again with Benjamin, they said, look, we're going to fast. And so they all prayed, and this time they fasted from morning until evening. And they asked the Lord, and the Lord said, go, you'll surely have victory. And the next time they went after they fasted all day, they, they won the battle. So sometimes when you have stubborn warfare and you've prayed about it, you've prayed about it, and you've prayed about it again, and you've got other people praying and you're thinking, what in the world? Maybe if you'll do a day with some other people agreeing with you of fasting, you'll get a breakthrough. Also, there was a fast to avoid judgment. We need to remember this one when you're praying for America. And you're praying for like groups of people that you're concerned about. But in 1 Kings 21, 19, Elijah prophesied over Ahab. And how many knows that Ahab, man, the Bible said there was none, nobody before or after him that was as wicked as Ahab. So God did not have a good opinion of this man. And Elijah said, Ahab, your house is going to be destroyed. God's going to judge you. And this prophecy came against Ahab. And here's how Ahab responded, though. There was a lot of ways he could have responded. He could have blasphemed God. He could have sent an army to try to kill Elijah, which would have been a bad idea. They would all been fried, right? But anyway, he, he didn't respond like that. What Ahab did was he went off by himself, and he humbled himself, and he prayed, and he fasted, and he put on sackcloth and ashes, and he fasted. And God saw that. As wicked as Ahab was, God appeared to Elijah again and said, I saw how Ahab humbled himself before me. Tell him because he did that, that judgment will surely come, but it won't come in his lifetime. I'll delay it for him. And that's exactly what happened. 
Ahab died in battle, and then right after that, the judgment came. So there's something about a corporate group of people coming together and really humbling themselves in prayer and fasting for America that's very powerful. It can delay the judgment and bring revivals, what can happen. All right, and then also fasting for physical health, Isaiah 58, which I'm going to come back to in a moment. And then there's also the 40-day fast for dominion. You need to be led of the Lord, though, if you're just going to not eat for 40 days, seriously. I'm not saying that lightly. I'm not making a joke because it is a fast in the Bible, and it's a very legitimate fast. It's very powerful. But you need to be led by the Lord before you do that. And if God led you to do it, he'll give you the grace. But um, a 40-day fast, I've done several times where I did 40 days, but I didn't do a complete fast. I just fasted what I felt led to. But in this case, Jesus and um, Elijah and Moses didn't eat anything. But it was so supernatural because Moses went up on the mountain and didn't eat or drink for 40 days. You can't do that. Okay, so it was a, in Moses' case, it was supernatural. Then he comes down and throws a temper tantrum because they, you know, had the golden calf. And then he goes back up and does it again. So you're looking at 80 days. So it's something that in Moses' case was just totally supernatural. So anyway, let God lead you, though, because 40 days is, is a powerful fast, and it has to do for dominion. If God led you to really fast the whole time, awesome, but he may just lead you to fast something for 40 days. All right, then there was the last fast, the Esther fast, which, you know, every Purim, this is talked about, right? But remember the story. I mean, Haman had, had pursued the annihilation of the Jewish people, and he went to, to King Artaxerxes and, and had this proclamation made anyway, Israel was in danger of being destroyed. And so Mordecai um, told Esther, said, do you think that if you don't do anything, that this isn't going to come upon you too because you're a Jew? And she said, okay, I'll approach the king, but I need y'all to fast for three days. And so all of Israel fasted for three days. And at the end of the three days, Esther went before the king and the entire situation turned around. So the three-day fast has to do with turning impossible situations around. Okay. And so now closing out with Isaiah 58. The Bible gives a pattern in Isaiah 58 that's really stuck with me. I believe it was David Wilkerson that said this, but he said Isaiah 58 is the scripture if you want to live in continual revival which I do and so he said if you look at Isaiah 58 that's the pattern for continual revival and I remember Pat Robertson when he was seeking the Lord God gave him Isaiah 58 and he saw in there that it wasn't just prayer and fasting but it was giving to the poor and so he really felt led to start doing Operation Blessing to be able to minister to the poor because he wanted to have that continual revival going on. And others have commented on that, Derek Prince, many others. But let me just say, Isaiah 58 is probably the most 
powerful passage about fasting in the Bible, and, but it also gives probably the longest list of blessings in the entire Bible. Now think about it for a minute. Here's the pattern without reading the whole thing. You can read it when you get home. But the Bible says in Isaiah 58, is it not a day to humble yourself and to pray and to fast? And then, it, then he says to put away the evil speaking. Quit gossiping. Quit judging people, pointing the finger. Quit being oppressive. In other words, consecrate your life. Get the sin out. And then it mentions giving to the poor. So here's the pattern. If people will humble themselves, that's really important enough to stop and think about that right there. You have to humble yourself. There's some people approach God like a brat a little bit, you know. Why aren't you doing this? That's not going to get too far with God. You humble yourself before the king, okay? Humble yourself. Number two, pray. Number three, fast. Number four, consecrate your life number five give i'm just telling you from the bible and from personal experience that people that are givers it really moves the heart of god it really does and so prayer fasting giving consecrating your life and then listen to the promises that are on the other side of that god says if you'll do these things now let me tell you what i'll do your light will break forth like the dawn and healing quickly appear. Isn't that awesome? He said the glory of God will be your rear guard. You want the glory of God around your life? His presence around you? The next one is he says, you will call to me, I'll answer. How many people want answer prayers? Pastor Scott wants answer prayers, okay? And then it also says, he said, you'll cry out to me, and I'll say, here I am. You know what that means? He'll draw near to you. How many want the nearness of the Lord? The next one is clear guidance. He says, I'll guide you, and I'll satisfy you in sun-scorched places. In other words, I will give you an oasis even in the desert. So let me say that in the way that maybe will hit home a little better he's saying i will guide you i'll tell you where to go i'll be with you i'll guide you and i'll lead you to a place that even if there's a desert all around you you're going to have an oasis i'll give you an oasis i'll give you a place of refreshing the next one is he said that he'll give strength to your in health to your body strength and he said you'll be like a well-watered garden how many want to be fruitful? You know, I want the Lord to look at my life and there's fruitfulness. Well, a well-watered garden is going to be fruitful. And then he says, this is the one, the last two are probably my favorite. He says that there'll be a continual flow of water. Continual flow. You know what that is? Continual revival. Continual revival. I want, like the the what ezekiel saw he said that the river was flowing but he said i started out ankle deep then i went further and i was knee deep then i went out further and i was waist deep and then i went out further in the river and it was over my head when the river gets over your head 
you're flowing now with the current. You're no longer in charge. As long as the river's waist deep, you can dig your feet down in the mud. I'm not moving. I am stationary. I am doing what, you know what I'm saying? But when the river gets over your head, you're at the mercy of the river. In other words, the Holy Spirit's going to completely take over 100%. And then my, the last one is my favorite, and it is restoration. This is what I was talking about with Wesley, Finney, other people like that down through the ages that were, that were men of prayer and fasting that left a legacy. The Bible says that they will be called the repairer of the breach. A walled city can have a big gap in the wall. A repairer of the breach is somebody that repairs the wall. It says you will be among those that rebuild ancient ruins. I think about great revivals of times past. I think about in Dallas, the great latter rain healing revivals of the past. I think about times that God's done things. And now it seems like it's kind of ancient ruins. It's talked about. It was, but it's like a ghost town. The Bible says that you'll rebuild those ancient ruins. They'll live again. And I felt that one when I said, and then it also says you're going to create streets with dwelling. You're going to help cut a path for people to walk on. And then finally, it says you will be known as those from among those, not only repairing the, the breach, restoring streets with dwelling, raising up age old foundations, but um, I'm, I'm sorry, that's it. The restoration is the point. I'm sorry. So great restoration will take place. And that's what God is wanting to do through those that pray and fast, consecrate their lives, give in that Isaiah 58 pattern. I believe we will be among those that will see great restoration. The devil came in. It's like Isaac. Remember in the Bible, Abraham had dug wells, but the Philistines came in and covered the wells over with dirt. But what did Isaiah, what did Isaac do? He went and dug those wells again. He pulled the dirt off of them. What happened with Elijah? He was on Mount Carmel, and he had to face the showdown with the prophets of Baal and Asherah. What did he do? He rebuilt the altar that Jezebel had torn down. So there's things that the devil has stopped up. He's, he's torn down. He's gone through. He's broken it to pieces. He's, he's put holes in the walls. He's torn up the streets. But those that will be Isaiah 58 people, We'll go in behind that and see restoration and revival. And so I just want to say a couple quick things in passing, give you these two pictures as I close here. But the menorah of appointed feast, we, we lit that menorah at the beginning. I explained some things. But I want you to notice that the top three are the spring feast, and they're fulfilled in Christ at his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Passover is the death, unleavened bread, the burial, first fruits the resurrection but then you had 40 days later Shavuot Pentecost the birth of the early church but all of that has been fulfilled what we're looking for in the spring uh, fall feast every time we're doing this dress rehearsal we're looking for number one Yom Teruah the catching away of the remnant bride number two Yom Kippur that's the days of Jacob's trouble or the tribulation time that's seven years the 70, 70th week of daniel and then at the end of that tabernacles where the lord jesus comes to rule and reign on the earth 
for a thousand years. That's what all of this is about. All of this is pointing to the coming of the Lord. Let me just give you something. Do you see that picture? It says September 23rd, 2017. There's people that have studied this out. If you read Revelation chapter 12, the Bible says there was a woman that was clothed with the sun and um, had the moon at her feet and a crown of seven stars on her head. And she was crying out to give birth. And it has to do with the woman is Israel. The child is obviously Christ. And so it has to do, obviously, with the first coming of Christ, but I believe also it has to do with the second coming, prophetically, metaphorically speaking. And what's interesting to me is, is that for the first time, now granted that we believe that from the fall of Adam is approximately 6,000 years. So just keep that in mind, okay? From the fall of Adam. We don't know how long Adam and Eve walked around before they fell, but from the fall of Adam till now is around 6,000 years. So there was 2,000 from the fall until Abraham. Then there was 2,000 from Abraham to Jesus Christ. And then there's been about almost another 2,000. So we're at a big juncture. Isn't it interesting that as we see all the signs going on in the earth, indicating the soon coming of Jesus Christ, that the Bible gives a depiction. I saw this great sign in heaven Jesus said this. Look this up because it's important that you know this because there's going to be a lot of blasphemers and mockers out there, okay? Jesus Christ said there will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. He said the stars. He said that word, and it is that word in the Greek. So right as we see all of these things going on and we can tell the soon coming of the Lord, isn't it interesting that this sign is appearing tonight? It hasn't appeared since the days of Adam and Eve, and it won't appear again. This alignment, as I'm talking to you right now, this alignment is over our head in the stars. Right at Yom Teruah, it's a sign that Christ's coming is near. Even the, the sky, like a billboard, is trying to shout to the world, get ready, get ready. The coming of Jesus is near. Repent get right and so isn't that awesome because you know the whole alignment with the the stars like leo on the head that's not all that uncommon but having those other planets there that's very uncommon and it's creating the exact alignment that the bible said even with the moon at the feet isn't that something so i just shared that to say i'm looking for his coming and listen before he comes i want to be fruitful I want to be seeing revival. I want to be seeing a harvest of souls. I want to be doing things for the Lord because I see the, near, the, the end is near. But I also am caught between two things because I also am ready to go to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know what I'm saying? I want to be here fruitful, but at the same time, I want to be there with Him. But His coming is near. So hopefully tonight, in all that was talked about, all that was taught, hopefully all of this pointed to Jesus Christ, glorified Jesus Christ, helped us understand the Bible more than what we did, and helped us to understand that we need to get ready for His coming. You know, really be ready. 
All right, so Lord, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for the power of what you've been doing. There's, there's been a strong anointing here tonight. I believe God's really going to touch people in the altar time too. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, thank you. We love you tonight. Seal this in the heart of everybody. Lord, let your Holy Spirit just seal this in people and help us to really understand it and to really learn it and really grow in your word. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And let this bear fruit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.